The gospel really begins and ends with one question, who is Jesus Christ? You would think after 2,000 years that question would be settled, but never has it been more uh, treated with more disregard, disrespect, and ultimately dismissing Jesus as just a good man, uh, another misguided Jew who thought he was a Messiah, somebody who did, could, could, could wow people with miracles, but nothing more. And the world still seeks every way in the world to deny him. I'm amazed that 2,000 years after the life of Christ, we are much more apt to believe a critic 2,000 years after his life than a gospel eyewitness within days of what he did and years of what he did writing that down for us to have. Most every other book, if you can get close to the source, you say that has veracity. This was written within days of this happening or years of this happening, except when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, the world has decided we don't like him, so let's try to find every source that will give him any disfavor, and we'll hold that up over the Bible any time in a secular world. More than his teachings, it's the very person of Jesus that is controversial. In fact, he created, I know this is going to shock you, he created such an upheaval in the first century, they killed him. If you think they killed Jesus because he's somebody they kind of liked, you're mistaken. It was not a hospitable act. It was a hostile act. He made everybody mad that had anything to do with religion because religion had gotten so stiff and so formal and so far removed from pleasing God to pleasing the laws of men, Jesus found it nauseating. He entered the temple and cast out those who had made it into a mall all they were interested in making a profit by telling you when you brought a lamb, your lamb is defective. You have to buy one certified by the priest. When you brought a dove, your dove is defective. You have to buy one of ours. And the reason they were selling them is the prices were marked up way overpriced. It was a way to extort the people when they ought to have been coming with their minds so blessed that when the first person they met welcomed them to the temple to enter them into a place of prayer. That was not the case. We changed Jesus. In fact, some of you here would never admit that you have tried your best to accommodate a lost friend by trying to tone Jesus down when the Bible says we're to lift him up. He said, if if I'm lifted up, I'll draw them all to me. It's not how much can we accommodate the world by trying to make Jesus like the world. It's how much will the world be willing to give up to conform to the image of Christ. You see, the truth is the world in which we live has a Jesus that says, oh, he's so lenient. It doesn't matter what you do. Even if you're way off in the ditch of sin, that's okay. You keep doing it. He loves you. That, that's just not so. When you love sin more than you love the Savior, you're an idolater. All through history, men have loved sin much more than they love salvation. They don't like sanctification, but boy, we've got PhDs in sin, don't we? We've made Jesus so lenient. We've said, no matter what your sin, he loves you. We've made him a glorified grandfather who just pats you on the head, no matter how debauched you may be. And the churches are lining up to say, we, we, we don't have any hostility. We just love everybody. If I see somebody about to kill another person and I don't say anything, is that an ultimate act of love? If I see somebody about to rob a store and I don't try to stop them before they shoot the clerk, is that an act of love? Where did we get off thinking as long as you don't correct somebody, you've loved them? Goodness, if your children were never corrected, don't invite me to your place for dinner. Sad thing is, we've made Jesus the source of, of whatever you want. He's like, you know, you know, Jesus really just a cosmic rabbit's foot. 
Well, he's a little genie in a bottle. All you got to do is rub the genie and say, I want it. And he just provides for you. You want a Cadillac? Just ask him. You don't get it? You didn't believe in it. Ask him for that marvelous new whatever it is you want. He, he's just a genie in a bottle waiting for the biddings of men to do the will of men. Isn't that what Scripture says? That's how we've taught him. That's not who he is. He's not some mystical figure waiting for every whim of man to be stated on a list so he can grant us all of our little childish desires. We've made him that. That's not who he is historically and biblically. We made Jesus in Mormonism the brother of Lucifer. People say, well, I just, I just think we're all alike. Really? So you believe Jesus and Lucifer were really brothers and Jesus is the good son, Lucifer's the bad son, and Lucifer diverted and went off to hell and Jesus did the will of God and is doing the will of God. And so women, when you die, you're going to populate a planet because as God is, so, as we are, so God was, as, as he is, so we shall be. That's the Jesus of Mormonism. Is that who you believe in? We believe that Jesus is just a creation of God, if you believe Jehovah's Witnesses. He's not really God. He just was created by God. He really wasn't even created by God. He, there was a being that was created, 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 created. And way down here somewhere, that being created a being who was so far removed from God original, he made sinful man because a pure God couldn't make sinful man. So some of you hold to a Jesus that's kind of a lesser deity than Jesus, than God himself. When Jesus said, I and my father are one. We don't understand him, so therefore we don't talk about him. And then some that you may say, he's a fraud. I don't know how you can believe in him. He wasn't born of a virgin. She slept around soldiers, visited Nazareth, and hollered, it was an angel. You're believing in a lie. Really? And so all of history was split in two from a fraud, A.D., B.C. and A.D. You're telling me the, great, the, one, the strongest world religion is built around a lie? You don't think if that was a lie from the beginning, those closest to the lie would have stopped it in its infancy and aborted Christianity? Who is Jesus? That's the question. Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Good question. Now, then they were much more noble. They were talking Jews to Jews, and so they were much more noble. And some said, they think you're, they think you're Elijah, come back. They think you're John the Baptist, come back. They think you're Jeremiah who wept over his people in his preaching. And then Jesus asked the question, going to be on your final exam. <laughs> you ever go to school, not a great student, say, can you just tell us what's on the final so you can be prepared? Here's the final exam question. Who do you say I am? Jesus Christ asks. Question is, who is he? Because if the gospel has veracity, then it rises and falls on the person of Jesus Christ. We live today in a generation that we have forgotten our mission as a church we are a search and rescue outpost, and there, there should be search and rescue outposts all over a city where we're not counted, we're not known for what, what did we have by way of a fellowship? What do we provide by way of, a, uh, by way of a, 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 an outing? What, what, how many buses can we take on a foliage tour? What, what do we do by way of uh, opportunities to go do a buffet? That, that's not the measure. 
The measure in church is how many were rescued this week from perishing forever without Jesus. And yet churches today are in plateau and most in decline because we are afraid to tell others what we know to be the truth and we wring our hands at what's the world coming to. What turned the first century around? What turned the first century around? I know they had the best auditoriums, the finest lighting and sound systems, and they were techno savvy. And people came and said, Ooh, we love your technology. Isn't that what changed them? No. I, I, I know they had more children's activities than anybody in the Roman Empire, and people just couldn't wait to get their children into those little churches because they just loved children. Isn't that what turned the world around? No. What turned the world around was one by one by one going to a friend and saying, I've met somebody who changed my life. And their life was so radically different. The hearer said, I've noticed you're different. I don't know why. Tell me. We've moved away from the personal evangelism that made churches great. And that's why I'm grateful for Kelly and uh, Kelly is the wife of Preston. Kelly and Preston writing this book by which we are saved You say, well, I I know the gospel. Did you share it this week? Then you don't know the gospel. So see, what you know, you tell. If you've just been to a restaurant and it turns you on, you know if food's good, you go tell someone. What you know is what you talk about. You met a health, somebody at a health club or uh, you've gone to a health club, really turns you, you talk about where you've just most recently been. If we're not talking about by which we are saved, we are not mindful of the one who's changed us forevermore and neither is the world. And so I'm grateful for Kelly and Preston for telling us new ways to do practical, easy to understand, straightforward information about how we can make a difference in our kingdom, in our world for the kingdom. This morning, I want to just take two or three things. And when you buy the book, you can read the whole chapter. This is chapter three of Preston's book. Who who is he? Because really the gospel rises and falls on the person of Christ. Who is he? Well, you and I both have heard people say, well, I don't believe Jesus is really the Son of God. Now, I, I believe he's a good man. Well, no, if he's not the Son of God, he's a liar. And he's not a good man. Well, I, I think he just was a good teacher. Well, no, he's an erroneous teacher. So if he's not who he said he was, you can't get off with he's a good man. When somebody says, I and my father are one, he's either a lunatic or he's Lord. And so if you say, I I think he's a good man, then everything he said comes into play. And everything he said pointed to the fact he is the son of God who came into the earth to save men of their sin. And if you say, I don't believe that, then you're saying everything he taught then is a lie because that's why he came. And so you can't get off with, I think he's just a good teacher. John 10, I'm going to just share two or three. And then if you want to get your Bibles, I'm going to camp on Colossians Colossians 1, Colossians 1, if you have your Bibles, go there. I want to read a couple of them on my way to camping on Colossians 1 for a minute. John chapter 10, if you remember Jesus, Jesus was discussing who he was with the Jews. In Colossians chapter 10, he says in 10, excuse me, John chapter 10, verse 30, the Father and I are one. And Jesus said, uh, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus said, I've shown you many good works, John 10, 31. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Listen at their answer. John 10, 33, here's their answer. We aren't stoning you for good work. We're stoning you for blasphemy. Because you being a man, make yourself God. Now, now hold it. He's a good teacher. 
They were ready to kill him. They didn't say, we like what you're teaching. They said, you are a blasphemer. If you're in the room this morning or on live stream this morning and say, I, I, now preacher, I gotta tell you, I'm not ready to say he's Lord, but I, I do think he's a good teacher. Then, then you're not honest. You're dishonest because you believe a liar can be a really good teacher. I do not want to go to my doctor and find out the doctor he had training him to do medicine did not teach him truth about the body. He'll kill me. I do not want to fly with a pilot who took training under a pilot that did not make it clear about approach and landings, and he was absolutely accurately right. I'm going to die in that aircraft. And yet you'll measure your eternity on somebody you're willing to say, well, now, Jesus, don't be mad at me. I think you're a good teacher. He says, you're not honest because you never read what I said. Even the Jews hated him because they realized, he said, I and my father once said, we're not stoning you for good works. We're stoning you, but trying to stone you because being a man, you make yourself God. I don't think that needs a commentary. Mark chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter answered, Jesus was thrilled he got it right. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Look with me, Colossians chapter 1. Here's a whole expose, Paul, writing about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? That's the question. Let's see if Paul can answer it. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13. Who is Jesus? He has rescued us. This would be a good one for you to use with that friend you've been talking to. You say, well, I just don't think Jesus ever, has ever stated in Scripture he really is the Son of God. I don't believe that. Well, this would be a good place to drop anchor. Colossians 1, 13. Who is he? He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's what God did. Verse 14, we have redemption. That means bought out of the slave market of sin and put into the camp of God. We've been bought from sin, redeemed, bought back. We have redemption. What else do we have? The forgiveness of sin in him. Who is he? He's the very image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, Colossians 1. Who is he? He's creator. Everything was created by him in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things created through him and for him. Who is he? He's before all things, which means what? He's eternal. He's before all things. What does he do? By him, all things hold together. Who is he? He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all the fullness of God dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven, who is he? I don't think Paul leaves a whole lot to doubt or to conjecture he is the incarnate god john chapter one says in the beginning was the word that's the greek phrase for christ the logos do you remember how you remember how god created all things and god said and he spoke a word the bible says the word of god is christ the logos of god is christ in the beginning was the word what was the word let there be the word is the one who spoke the word is what was spoken a word capsulates the thoughts of the one speaking you have no idea what i'm thinking until i open my mouth 
and then all doubt is removed. When God spoke, we had no one, we had no way, no reason to wonder what is it God intended? Let there be light. Any questions? Any questions? The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word, who is he? The word of creation is God. He's God incarnate. Secondly, there are those who say, you say he's the son of God. I, I don't believe in Trinity. Trinity. Where Trinity's not in the Bible. You're absolutely right. It is not in there anywhere. You, you can look in every concordance. If you've got a concordance that shows Trinity in the Bible, throw it away. It's bad concordance. The word Trinity is not in there anywhere, but Trinity is in there everywhere. The word Trinity is in there everywhere. How do we know? Well, let's consider some of those. John 14, 26. Listen, you just hear these. It's in, it's in this book, chapter 3. If you want to look them up later, get a book and you can do that. John 14, 26. Just listen. Do you tell me how many people, how many members of the Godhead are mentioned in one verse? John 14, 26. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. Now, that's just the first phrase. The Holy Spirit, the Father will send in my name. How many are mentioned? No kidding. How many gods do we serve? We believe that God is three persons but one deity. Three persons, one deity. Listen to this, Matthew 3, 17, baptism of Jesus. Jesus in the Jordan River, he is the one being baptized. There's a voice from heaven after the Spirit of God has descended and alighted on him in the form of a dove. And once the Spirit of God came for his anointing, his anointing was the Spirit of God anointing him with authority. The voice of God spoke to the Son and with the Spirit upon him, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How many were present? God the Son's in the water. God the Holy Spirit's in the form of a dove on his shoulder. And the voice of God the Father speaking from heaven. How many is present? How many gods do we serve? One. But didn't say Trinity. Well, if you have God the Father speaking, God the Son in the water, and God the Holy Spirit on his shoulder, it appears there's three persons in one. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Be filled by the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for everything through God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. How many is mentioned in one verse? Three. How many gods do we have? One. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's really God? Yes. Which one's more God? Yes. All are God equal. All are God the same, but they are in three persons. Colossians says, all the fullness of God dwells in him. So for those who say, well, I don't think you get all of Jesus when you're saved. Now, you need to get that. You need to get the Holy Ghost. Well, now, either we're going to go with Scripture or we're going to go with experience. Do you want your experience to shape what you do before God? Well, I had this experience. That's good. Or I got what God said, all the fullness. What does the word all mean? 
It's all right, class. All. That, very good. All means what? All. What does fullness mean? Can't get any fuller. Your bucket full and you put just a little bit more. What do you find out? My bucket was already full because it's sloshing over the side. All the fullness of who? God. What? All the fullness of God. What? God creator? Yes. God provider? Yes. God sustainer? Yes. God redeemer? Yes. God convictor? Yes. God empower? Yes. God of the gifts of the spirit? Yes. God who sends his spirit to seal us the day of redemption? Yes. God who fills us with the spirit? Yes. God who baptizes us in the spirit of the body of Christ? Yes. So how much do you get when you get Jesus? All. Maybe it all rises and falls on Jesus, you think? Third, there are those who say, well, you all preach God is love, but then you preach God send a man to hell. My, my God wouldn't send a man to hell, and that's your problem. <laughs> right there, that's your, your God wouldn't, but you don't worship the God of Scripture. See, there are many people who created God in their image, not accepted the God that was created in his image. We have many gods, but there's only one of Scripture. And many people have said, I don't like that, so I'm going to cut that out. And I'm changing that part of God to a God I can accept. Well, that's called blasphemy. Jehovah's Witnesses are built around the fact that a young man, before he met Judge Rutherford, Mr. Russell went to a camp meeting when he was a boy. And he heard hell preached on, scared the daylights out of him. So he goes back home, determines I'm going to write my own Bible and write hell out. I'm sure God said, that's okay. That's fine. Just, just take the parts you want, right? Right? Anybody here just take the parts you want? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand right off. But to, and sure don't deny it right off. You just kind of take the parts you want. Well, now, I don't care for that part. And I really like that part. But this part's always giving me trouble, so I don't really read it. How thick is your Bible if you took out everything that you're not sure you believe in? Some of you go with the name Genesis and the word maps and everything in between to be out. I like what Billy Graham said when the man said, I, I, don't, I don't understand the Bible. He says, not you don't understand it. It's the parts you do that trouble you. Who is Jesus? Bible says that Jesus, he's a God of love, but he's a God of wrath. You and I have had cases in recent years, and I don't have to name them. You can name your own, where a judge was extremely lenient against a rapist or a murderer or a thief. And you said, that guy ought to be taken off the bench. What? If a guy shows unusual leniency toward a violent crime, isn't that ultimately just an act of love? I mean, if it's your daughter that got raped, wouldn't you just say, I I'm so glad he didn't charge the man. We, we, just, we just loved him because he's just such a gracious judge of love. He, he didn't find him. He, he said, it's okay. He raped him. He's sorry. He's going to just let him go. Isn't that how you'd feel? So how is it when we are sinners and we stand before a holy God, we think he's going to laugh it off? If you don't find a judge that doesn't hold to the letter of the law, credible on earth you think you're going to believe in a god who holds you accountable in glory who does not have a punishment forever who those who said i want nothing to do with him he said i've got a place for you i don't want you he said i've got a place waiting for you 
Don't cram your presence in my face. He said, I got a place where you'll never again hear just as I am without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come. Now, what's angry about that? It was man who said, I don't want you. How, how rude, how rude would I be if you told me to, preacher, I don't want to be around you. I said, no, security, come get this. Lock me back there in that prayer room for 24 hours. I'm going to stay with him till he likes me. I see y'all don't like that prospect either. Be the longest eight-second bull ride you ever had. How cruel would I be? To lock you in a place where you say, did you understand? I don't even like you. Well, you will after 24 hours if you want out. You say, no. How cruel would God be to force you to be in his presence forever when you don't want to be in his presence 60 seconds now? Not likely, is it? What does the Bible say about God? It says there's a place waiting for those who say, I want nothing to do with God. The Bible calls it Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom. In the Old Testament, it was a horrible place. Outside the city walls, it was a place of child sacrifice. It was called Topheth, Valley of Topheth, T-O-P-H-E-T-H. Jeremiah 7, it says, they built the high places of Topheth in the Valley of Hinnom in order to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Hinnom was a place where parents offering their children to false gods in Jerusalem. Pardon me? They'd go to the Valley of Hinnom and offer a child sacrifice and leave their body in the valley. He said, that's what hell's like. It's a place where they went to offer to Moloch, the god King Ahaz, you remember? Wicked King Ahaz. Second Chronicles 28, he burned incense in the Valley of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire. A place for dumping garbage. Isaiah 66 says, Jesus quoted this himself. As they leave, they're going to see the dead bodies. Isaiah 66, they'll see dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. And the worm will never die. The fire will never go out. And they will be a horror to all mankind. If I offered you two weeks, all expenses paid to camp in the city dump of Tulsa, would you say hot dog or oh me? Jesus said, the closest I can compare hell to is a place like the city dump. It burns with fire. You ever been to a city dump? It's smoldering somewhere all the time. It said in the city in the city dump, the worms never die. What does that mean? You ever seen maggots in and around food stuff at a city dump? He said that's what hell is. Well, I, I don't believe in that. He didn't ask for your opinion. He's trying to give you a warning. I, I don't buy that. Well, just wait till that last heartbeat. You will have already bought it. <laughs> because that warning is if you don't trust Christ and repent of your sin. You have a reservation forever. Isaiah chapter 30 says, Topheth has been ready for the king for a long time now. It's a funeral pyre, deep and wide, plenty of fire and wood. The breath of the Lord kindles it. Luke 16, 19, by the way, if you get a chance to read that, Luke 16, 19, 31, story of a rich man who died and went to hell, and Lazarus, who's a beggar, said his door is in heaven. It is not a parable. Jesus didn't say, let me tell you a parable about hell. He said, there was a rich man. That's stated fact. Why? He says, I've seen him. I created him on the earth and I saw him when he died and he went to hell. He doesn't say it's a parable. 
2,000 years ago, the rich man was there begging for a drop of water. That rich man is still there looking in the bosom of Abraham, seeing that poor beggar. And you don't think he's tormented? The Bible says there's a great gulf fixed and the beggar can't come to him and he can't go to the beggar, but he's out in darkness. He can see up in the light and he sees all that beggar's enjoying. And hell means I can see everything that might have been, but it's not mine. Does that sound pleasant to anybody? You have a friend that doesn't know Jesus? That's where they're headed. Do you know Jesus for sure? Because if not, the end result is a place that God's ordained for those who reject him. It's not my threat to you. It's not I'm trying to be ugly to you. I'm just, I'm just a pizza delivery boy, and I'm telling you what, what's in the main house. Number D, some people say, well, you know, I don't believe in creation or a creator. I think it all just happened. You'd never convince me we didn't come about by evolution. Isaiah 44, I'm God, I am Yahweh, who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth. We've forgotten that. I'm the God who destroys the omens of false prophets and makes fools of diviners. I confound the wise and make their knowledge Foolishness. John 1 3. He is the creator of all things. By him all things were made. Nothing was made that he did not make. John 1 3. Isaiah 45. God said, I made the earth and I created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens. I commanded all their hosts. Well, this is what the Lord says God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and he made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty. Isn't that good? He did not create the heavens and the earth to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh. There is no other. You and I have had people look up in the heavens and say, well, I just think that's too big. I, I don't think we need all that. God made that for us. He didn't make it for you. Contrary to today's choruses where it's all about me, worship is all about God. Here's what the Bible says about the heavens when they have the expanse that they have. Man, they're massive. Scientists today with telescopes tell us there's as many as 1,500 galaxies, galaxies like our own galaxy called the Milky Way. There's, they, they're able to discern there's 1,500 more this size. Ours is 100 million light years in diameter. How big is this place where we live? You say, that's too big for us. You're right, but that's not why God made it. The heavens declare his glory it's just about the right size the heavens declare his glory and the stars are the works of his fingers who is jesus he is the christ the son of the living god i heard this week marvelous sermon i've been listening all week on just sermons on who is jesus it'll revive your soul One of those by a man named Paul Washer, and he's talking about an article he read or a person he read, and I didn't have time to go back and get the source, so forgive me, but it was a sermon I was listening to by him. And I'm amazed as we were talking about, he was talking about who Jesus is, and the glory of Jesus, and the creator Jesus. And it said, Jesus is the only person that the world was ever watching for to come. <laughs> and he goes on to explain... The world wasn't waiting for George Washington to be born. 
world didn't wait for Julius Caesar to be born. The world wasn't watching for some great athlete to be born. But in the Old Testament, over 300 prophecies point to the coming of one named Jesus. If Jesus Christ is not the Messiah, nothing else in Bible is true. Why? The Old Testament points toward him. The New Testament bears witness of him. And now the verdict is, what will you do with him? That's the question. One story, and I got to quit. Last Sunday was Easter. I always love Easter because we can just focus on Jesus. Last Sunday, a sweet young lady came right down here with one of our senior adults, Helen Hillock. Helen, are you here? Raise your hand if you're here. You back over there somewhere, Helen? Is she here? Am I overlooking her? I see hands. Well, where are you? Way back there. Helen, stand up a minute. Stand up, would you? That's Helen Hillock. That's a sweet little lady standing right here. Thank you. You can be seated. Miss Helen came last Sunday. She was standing right over there. Had a young lady standing with her named Cassie. Cassie, are you here? If I'm going to talk about you, maybe I'll be sure you're here. Are you in the service? Would you stand? Cassie, you here? You here? Okay. I called her yesterday and asked if I could tell her story. Cassie came last week and stood right down there with Miss Helen. Cassie had tears in her eyes, and Helen said, Pastor, she's come because she wants to trust Jesus. And so I said, that's great, and talked with her, and she had prayed to receive Christ in the service. So I just asked after Cassie stepped aside to visit with Rocky Nasser to get her information, clarify her decision. I said, Helen, can you tell me about this young lady? She came with you. How do you know her? And she said, well, I helped her some time ago, and Invited her to church, she came, and today she came to know Christ. Well, she told me the abbreviated version. So yesterday I called Cassie and said, Cassie, can I tell your story tomorrow? I, I, but I'd like to ask where I tell it so I have your permission. She said, yes. And I said, well, just so I have the facts straight, would you walk through your story with me? Because Helen gave me the quick version. We both had to go. And I said, tell me your story. Cassie said, two years ago. <laughs> Two years ago, I was stranded on the side of the road, and this sweet lady, Helen Hillock, stopped to help me. I was out of gas, and she took me to get gas, brought me back to my car, and she was so gracious, and she prayed for me and helped me, and I was so grateful. said, two weeks ago, I was really struggling, and I thought, I'm going to go back to First Baptist Church, Broken Air. Helen said she goes to church there. and said, I I believe she said she went to that 9 o'clock service. I'm going to go see if I can find her. That's all she knew. Week before Easter, she came back. She's looking out there for Miss Helen, and she ran into you. I'm sure they exchanged a hug and visited a minute, and Helen said, Cassie, next Sunday's Easter. I wish you'd come back and come to church with me on Easter. She did. During that service Easter, when we talked about Jesus died on a cross for our sins, and he buried all our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness, And he came alive from the grave so that all would believe in him could have their life changed forever here and have life eternal with him there. And when I led in a prayer at the end of the service, Cassie prayed to receive Christ. Why? Sweet little lady two years ago stopped to help her get gas. Did you see anybody this week stranded? Did you think, I bet that's a gospel opportunity right there on two legs. She stopped and helped her. Then she came back, and all Cassie could remember 
That lady who is so nice to me goes to church. When you help that person with gas or flat tire or helped them in the store with a package, did they find out enough about you? No, you are a Jesus person. When she came back last week to say, I'm looking for you, Helen, because I just want you to pray for me. Helen was faithful in church. If your friend came to find you on Sunday, would they be able to find you every Sunday? Found Helen. And through that service, hearing about the simple message of Jesus, Cassie gave her life to Christ. I'm grateful for Helen being an ambassador of the king as the hands and feet of Jesus, helping somebody and talking to them enough that they knew that she was a Jesus person. Two years later, when she was hurting, she said, I got to go find that Jesus person, ask her to pray for me again. Today, she's in the kingdom. Who is Jesus? He's your salvation if you let him be. He's the son of God. He's the lamb of God who paid your sin penalty. He's the resurrected Lord who came alive from the grave to give eternal life to all who believe. He split history in two. And he's about to split the whole Mount of Olives in two when he comes back and puts his feet on it and they split asunder. And there's going to be water flowing from Israel, from the Dead Sea, which will live again, all the way to the Mediterranean. When he puts his feet down, you're going to be excited or depressed, thrilled or concerned. Today would be a good day to go and make sure you know him and not live your eternity on what might have been. I invite you today to Jesus Christ, our Savior, the risen Lord. Would you stand with me? It may be today there's someone in this room that say, Brother Nick, I don't know that. Then I'm going to ask you to step out right now. Pastors, if you're in the room, make your way to the altar. You're a person in this room this morning, forever say the prayer of benediction and we go into the song of inviting people to come. You may say, I don't need another invitation, Brother Nick. I need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. Pastors are making their way to the altar. If you need Jesus, I invite you to come. Put your hand in the hand of a pastor. All you got to say is, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. They may ask you some questions, but that lets them know why you've come. You're without Christ, man, woman, boy, girl, teenager, first-time guest, long-time attender, church member who realizes I've never truly come to know Christ. I'm going to ask you to step out this morning, put your hand in the hand of a pastor and say, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe some of you here say, Brother Nick, I'm a Christian, but I've never been baptized. Why are you ashamed of showing there's been a death in your life to an old way of life? You've been raised up to a brand new life. Why are you ashamed of giving that testimony? Today would be a great day to say, I do believe in Jesus. I want to follow him in baptism. Maybe like many here, you say, I know Christ, Brother Nick. But I've let the things of the world choke off my joy. I'm so burdened and broken over stuff going on. I I just don't rejoice in him like I should. I'm crushed. Maybe it'd be a good day to come for prayer either with a pastor, with a friend, or just kneel here by yourself at a kneeling bench or on this front row of chairs. Just make them into an altar. Have a church service where prayer broke out. The people of God cried out to God first for cleansing, then for deliverance from whatever that is that keeps plaguing you. 
and then for the power to go tell somebody else where they can find living water. I believe there's some in this room say, Brother Nick, I've got a friend that really is headed for the place you've been talking about today if a man rejects Jesus. It grieves me, Brother Nick. I know he needs Jesus, and I need to be the one to tell him. And I've just found that so hard. Well, two things I'd encourage you to do. First of all, ask Christ to forgive you. And then secondly, ask him to help you be the avenue through which the gospel can be shared. You say, well, I just don't know what to say. Well, today there's a book available just across the hall by which we are saved. It'll give you every step that you need to be able to be a good witness. Some of you here just hurting when you're hurting, you throw up your hands and say, help me. A little child just throws up their hands to a grandparent and says, help me. Maybe that's what you need to do today with Christ. Ask him to help you. This is your time with him. I, the best of my ability have preached who he is. Now the question is, what are you going to do with him? Father, speak to every heart today. Draw us near in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together. Pastors are here. Opportunities now. Come.